0: So tonight we're talking about the discipline of confession. So we've been going through Richard Foster's book, um, The Celebration of Disciplines. And so we've talked about a couple different types of disciplines now, and now we're on corporate disciplines. So that means ones that we practice as a group, all all together, um, as a body of believers, right? Um, Not necessarily um, on our own, um, like inwardly or outwardly, those are the ones we've already talked about, but now like as a body, as a, a church, as a the group, we practice, practice these things together. And that doesn't mean that they're not things that we um, don't do on our own. So some of these, especially confession, we know that's something that we do on our own, but there's also a place for it to be done as a group um, or as a, a body altogether. And so that kind of, I think, puts a little bit of a different, uh, filter a different way of looking at you know, some of these disciplines, if we look at it as a corporate discipline rather than just a personal uh, discipline. So with confession, um, I think we've all, like, experienced times where we really feel, like, weighed down by something, right, or we feel that, like, guilt of something that's lingering, and then hopefully we've also all experienced times where we felt, the freedom that comes from being known yet loved. You guys heard that song. I don't know who writes it because I'm really bad with people, but there's that song right now that's like plays on gay love to be fully known and fully loved. You know what I'm talking about? You should look it up. All right. Cause I relate with that song so well and I don't, I should have looked it up to see who, who sings it. But this idea of like not just being loved for to someone thinks that we are, but being fully known and fully loved. Right. And so I think confession can bridge that gap between, um, you know, being weighed down by things and being fully loved. There we go. Matt's got it first known by Torian Wells. So look it up if you haven't heard it because it's, I really like it. Um, and I think it describes what we're, what I'm saying here of being fully being fully loved when we're fully known for who we truly are and everything about us, whether they're good things or bad things. Um, So confession is kind of that bridge that gets us from that place of being weighed down to a place of being fully known and still fully loved. And we've talked before about how um, the disciplines don't just stand on their own, that they are a bridge, they're a way of getting to something, right? So we're not just doing the discipline for the sake of it. We don't just practice confession for the sake of practicing confession. We practice confession because it brings about a freedom um, so with confession the freedom that it brings is that it's that freedom of being being known and loved there's a freedom of being able to walk in harmony and in unity with other believers um, because the truth is out there there's a freedom of being able to experience forgiveness and healing how can we be forgiven of something if we're not honest about it how can we be healed of something if we're not honest about it right and so, by practicing confession, confession, we can experience those those things in our lives. So, I wanted to start, uh, like I said, by reading in Genesis. So, does someone let's just keep it all together? Does someone want to read Genesis three one through thirteen?
1: The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any any of the trees in the garden? Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt the shame, felt shame at their nakedness. <coughs> so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees." Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman who gave me the It was the woman who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me. She replied, That's why I ate it.
0: Okay, so we see there this is like the first time that sin enters the world, right? And so we can see the introduction of like this cycle of sin that leads to shame and and guilt, right? That's why they hid. And then ultimately separation from God. Um, And so we know that this is a cycle. We know that this is what happens, right? We make a mistake, we sin, we feel guilty or we feel ashamed. um, And then we have a tendency to, instead of running to God to back away in our relationship with him. And sometimes even with other people too, often with other people too, especially if the sin involves sinning against another person. Um, And so confession is what breaks this cycle, right? And so I wanted to read this verse because I'm going to like come back to this story a couple times to kind of like as an illustration uh, as we go throughout talking about what confession is. Um, But I think a lot of times, we talk about confession, and we think, "Okay, I'm going to confess personally to God, and He's going to forgive me." And we leave it at that. We think about just that personal aspect of confession, and that results from confession is is forgiveness. Um, and but there's more to it than that. And so, can someone read Second Chronicles seven fourteen?
1: If my people who are called by my name humble themselves. And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land.
0: Okay, so that verse doesn't specifically use the word confession, right? But I think it's um, implied this idea if we are humbling ourselves and seeking God, uh, that that's gonna involve confession, especially if forgiveness is given. I think it's important there that he says he will forgive them, right? This, so this is talking specifically about the nation of Israel, but we can take the principle and apply it to us. He says he would forgive them, but he also says that he will heal them, right? And so we just talked about this, this cycle that happens that, oh, we sin, and that leads to shame and guilt. And we often address that by saying, okay, we're going to seek God's forgiveness through confession. But then there's another element on um, that separation from God that comes and that we need healing in those areas too, right? And so healing breaks that link. Um, and so that's part of the reason why confession is also a corporate discipline. Because by confessing corporately, then we're allowing God's healing to take place. And so when I say corporately too, I want to, I guess I should clarify that. That like, I'm not necessarily saying like in front of the whole or the whole body believers believers or the whole the group. I'm saying like as a group, like not just me and Jesus, but involving other Christians too. So why is confession possible? Why can we confess? Why do we confess? Um, and why why is confession more than just like a something that's like psychologically relieving, right? Just like, oh, getting everything off my chest or venting. It's different when we're confessing and not just venting because of the cross, right? Confession is more than venting or more than relieving our conscience, because of the cross, because of what Jesus did, right? So we know that God is perfect, that he's just, he's holy, but he's also loving and gracious and has a desire to forgive and to heal us. So he gave us Jesus. He provided Jesus who lived a sinless life to take our place in death, right? He took our punishment He died for us and came back to life three days later, okay? So uh, we hear that, we know that, but when we really believe that Jesus did that for us, then we confession knowing that it's more than just this, oh, I'm just getting things off my chest, but that there's spiritual significance to this because of the spiritual things that Jesus has done for me. Um, And so we know Jesus did this to break that cycle, right? That cycle of sin leads to shame and guilt leads to separation from God to bridge that gap. Okay. So we know that. And I think this is where, where a lot of times as Christians, we get stuck. We say, I know that Jesus died to take my place. And so I'm going to believe that. And we'll say, okay, God, I believe that you've provided for me a way for me to come out of hiding, right? Like Adam and Eve. They hid behind, you know, hid behind the bushes in the Jaden's Little Story Bible, right? They hid from God is what it says. So imagine you're like Adam and Eve and you've sinned and you feel this separation from God. You feel this guilt and you go and hide. So you imagine you're even in the garden of and you're hiding behind a bush and you know about Jesus. And so you say, okay, all right, God, I believe that you provided this way for me to come out of hiding, but you stay in hiding, You stay back there and you talk to God behind the bush and say, okay, God, you provided a way for me, but I'm going to keep hiding behind the bush. That's what happens when we don't practice confession. We're like, I believe you. I believe that you say you did this thing, but I'm not actually going to practice it and step out from behind the bush so that you can see me for who I really am. I'm going to stay hiding. Sometimes we'll even say, okay, God, I'll confess to you, and come out from behind the bush, as long as I'm dealing with you, but I'm still going to stay hiding when I'm talking to other people. So then when we're, we're relating to each other, it's like we're all walking around behind bushes, figuratively, instead of ex- being fully present and fully exposed of who we are. So we want to practice confession so that we can, we can truly experience all that Jesus did for us on the cross, both the forgiveness from God and the healing, um, that happens often when we confess with, uh, in the presence of other people. So can someone read James 5, 16? Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of righteous person is
1: powerful and effective.
0: So I think this verse is important because it's very clear. Confess your sins to each other. Why? So that you may be healed. Um, and again, just like it's not just about forgiveness that forgiveness is a part of confession, but so is healing and that that this verse is specifically happens when we confess to each other and not just directly to God so I think um Richard Foster in the book a really good job of addressing the idea of like what prevents us from practicing corporate for confession why we tend to be like, why we tend to prefer confessing directly to Jesus and not also confessing to each other to our brothers and sisters in Christ um and so I'm going to read a couple paragraphs from the book so I'm going to start with this like I said this is talking about why we we tend to not practice confession corporately he says confession is a difficult discipline for us because we all too often view the believing community as a fellowship of saints before we see it as a fellowship of sinners we feel that everyone else has advanced so far into holiness that we are isolated and alone in our sin. We cannot bear to reveal our failures and shortcomings to others. We imagine that we are the only ones who have not stepped onto the high road to heaven. Therefore, we hide ourselves from one another and live in veiled lies and hypocrisy. Right? Like, that was so relatable for me, where, like, I have a tendency to not want to confess my sins, not want to confess when i messed up, when I've fallen short, because I feel like other people are better than I am, that the church as a whole isn't made up of people who have all sinned, right? And we think, like, when I say the church or Kyle for group, a group of believers, right? Like, we don't, I think we all have a tendency to not see all of us, to not see our group as people who have sinned and have been restored in right relationship with God and who all still sin at times and still make mistakes. And so it's like, well, I don't want to say my mistakes because they're all so much better than me and don't make those same mistakes, when that's just not true, right? If we have a correct view that we are all sinners, that we all make mistakes, and that all of us need to be transformed and forgiven and healed, then we're more willing to be honest about who we are because we're not the only one. Um, And so he continues to, to say that, to talk about what it means to have a, a place where we can speak when we view each other as, view the body of Christ as a group of people who have been sinners. He says in the next paragraph, If we know that the people of God are first a fellowship of sinners, we are freed to hear the unconditional call of God's love and to confess our needs openly before our brothers and sisters. We know we are not alone in our sin. The fear and pride that cling to us like barnacles cling to others also. We are sinners together. In acts of mutual confession, we release the power that heals. Our humanity is no longer denied but transformed. And I think that last sentence is so important. Our humanity is no longer denied but transformed. When we refuse to practice confession, um, we're saying, like, oh, I'm gonna deny the fact that I'm human, I'm gonna deny the fact that I'm a sinner and pretend that I don't make mistakes. And when we all walk around and and relate to each other as, oh, we're pretending to be perfect or we're pretending to not have sin, or maybe I'm pretending to have like these sins that are more socially acceptable, but not have committed these other sins that aren't as socially acceptable, then we're we're not creating opportunities to be transformed, right, like why stay in our junk when we can be honest and we can allow God to transform us, it's hard. And especially when you're the first one, right? But that transparency, that confession allows God the space to bring healing into our lives and to transform us rather than to allow us to continue to deny ourselves and deny the truth about what's really going on. So we have a responsibility as the church, we have a responsibility as followers of Jesus to practice confession, um, to both confess ourselves and to hear, to receive, as Richard Foster calls it, other people's confessions. So let's let's just get practical for a little bit. Now that we've talked about that why we confess, what it is to confess. Like well, now, talk about why, why we confess. Let's talk about owning our sin specifically. Right? It's not um, generalizations or saying like, oh, but there were extenuating circumstances or um, just calling it an error in judgment, you know, like diminishing it. It's not putting the blame on other people. Um, I think that's something we all have a tendency to do. It's like, okay, I'll say it, but I'm going to make it sound like as least bad as possible, right? So a personal example for me, um, some of you have heard my testimony and my story. So something that I've struggled with in the past uh, was an addiction to pornography. Okay, so when I was like really walking out of that, with one of the, my campus pastor was discipling me. There'd be times when I had sinned and I had looked at pornography and my tendency when I needed to confess that would be to go to her and say like, oh, well, I last night, uh, this happened and this happened. And then I looked at some stuff that I probably shouldn't have. And like sometimes inappropriate settings, like it might be a good idea to use those words, but not when we're in a confession, right? I, I was saying that to make it not sound as bad and to not bear the responsibility of my sin. And bearing the responsibility of my sin would have been, would have been to, like, not give all the circumstances or all the things, but just just saying, like, last night I made a wrong decision and viewed pornography, all right? That, that holds more weight. You guys get what I'm saying? I didn't not generalizing it or trying to downplay it, but being honest about the sin that we are confessing fully. Also, what else happens in a confession? Forgiveness is granted, right? So um, I want to read, well, can someone read John 2023? Who I need a volunteer. Who's gonna volunteer for that one? John 2023. 20, Sarah, can you read John 2023? And then uh, hope, can you read first John 1 9? If you forgive anyone's sin, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Alright, and then hope, 1 John 1-9. Okay. First John 1-9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness." Okay, so hope just read that if we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive them and cleanse us or heal us, right? So we know that that's a given. We confess, God is faithful to, to forgive and to heal. And Sarah read that we have the authority to forgive sins on, on behalf of Jesus or as a representative of Jesus, right? So when whenever there's a corporate confession, a confession of other people, forgiveness needs to be granted, right? We don't just hear the confession and then brush it aside or say, oh man, that sucks. Like we say, no, Jesus forgives you and we forgive you. I forgive you. We give that, we grant that authority verbally and very clearly.
1: Um, And then
0: the third element of a confession is that we take our sin seriously. Right. And I think this kind of goes along with what I was saying about not generalizing. um, But it's also like, we're not going to joke about it or pretend it's, it's less than what it is, whether we're confessing or receiving the confession, we're not going to dismiss it, um, as acceptable when it, when it's a sin, especially there may be times where someone, someone comes to you and says, I need to confess this thing. Like I broke this conviction that the Holy Spirit has for you. And maybe like for them, it, it is a sin. The Holy Spirit has convicted them of it. But for you, it's not, And that's not a time to dismiss it, but to take it, to take it seriously, what they're saying and to, to still grant that forgiveness. So if that's what a confession is, let's talk about what the process of confessing looks like. So obviously there's times when we all, we sin and we know we've sinned and we need to confess. But sometimes it's healthy to to sit down in our time with Jesus, um, either on our own or as a group, and to ask the Holy Spirit, hey, is there anything that I need to confess right now? Like reveal to me, are there sins in my, in my heart, inward sins that other people can't see? Are there sins um, that have happened in the last, couple days or whatever time frame, where, um, you know, like I I didn't realize, or I haven't taken the time to stop and reflect on that. I need to confess to you or, or to other people and just sitting in silence and allowing the Holy spirit to reveal those things to us. So actually later when we break into guys and girls, that's what we're going to practice. We're going to take time and allow the Holy spirit to speak to us to say like, okay, here's something that like, maybe you should confess, um, And if the Holy Spirit reveals something to you or you feel like something comes to mind and you're not sure, like, take the benefit of the doubt that it's the Holy Spirit, right? Like, it doesn't hurt to confess something. Like, I'd rather err on that side of, like, confessing something, even if we're not sure if we're just thinking it up or if it's the Holy Spirit, um, than to just ignore it when it could be the Holy Spirit. Another option is to ask a mentor say, hey, I feel like maybe I need to confess this. What do you think? And, and seeing what that, that person who's discipling you thinks. Um, so that's the first part of a confession is knowing what we're going to confess and giving the Holy Spirit opportunity to reveal this to us. And then the verbally owning it. What, what good is a confession um, if we're just stating that we've sinned, but we don't really care? Like we had that where it's like, well, I know this thing is wrong but I don't care that I did it, you know, like it's not, it's socially acceptable. I'm just, you know, and so that's, that's not a real confession. A real confession is like, I'm confessing this because I've offended God. I, I've sinned against God and I want to restore my relationship with him. Or I've sinned against this person. I want to restore my relationship with them. So there's times like, I think a good example of this is Jaden is learning to say, I'm sorry. Right. So she's two and a half. And she'll come to me at times and say, mommy, I'm sorry. And I'm like, why? What are you sorry for? And she, she doesn't know. She just says, I'm sorry, because that's a <laughs> word that you learn how to say and, and something to do. And I think sometimes she may really have done something and doesn't know how to express to what she did. Sometimes she's just saying sorry <laughs> for the of saying sorry, right? And so mm-hmm. there is no determination to avoid, avoid sin. Like, there. There's no determination to not do the wrong thing again because she doesn't know what she's saying, right? So let's not be like that. Let's come to God or come to other people when we have when we a confession and have, have godly, godly sorrow. And if we don't, if it's like, man, I should care about this more, then we need to ask the Holy Spirit to work that in our hearts, to give us um, a desire to not sin, to, to change our hearts, to be different in that area, to have a different attitude. Okay. So then in the process of, of confession, we've examined ourselves, we've verbally owned it, and then the people we're confessing to, um, someone in the group needs to, to say, you are forgiven, right? So if you're receiving a confession, then you have a responsibility to say, Jesus has forgiven you, um, and that we forgive you, especially if someone's confessing something that they've done against you, like, and maybe maybe there needs to that's a little bit of a different process you need to like work through that forgiveness but at the very least if they're confessing in this sense like saying like okay like we acknowledge that jesus has forgiven you um for this sin and then lastly we close with a healing prayer so this healing prayer is a time to pray emotional healing over them spiritual healing from whatever the effects of this this sin are especially if it's a a long-term thing or a cyclic thing like a um an addiction thing like to pray healing in those areas or healing from from the sin it the effects of the sin itself so something to note there is that just because it's a prayer of healing doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be emotion emotional sometimes we associate these healing prayers of like oh i had this really deep like cathartic emotional time and was released from the stuff that's that's not necessarily uh gonna happen are we still okay did we freeze for a minute are we? Oh wait, no, not that one. Not that one. You're good. Okay. I was like, everyone was first on my screen. I didn't know if we need need to, to go back. So yeah. So just because we pray for someone and pray for healing, like there can be spiritual healing without this big show of emotion. I'm not saying it's bad if there is emotion, but we don't need to expect emotion every time. Like sometimes there's just spiritual healing without a big emotional ordeal. So we know this process of confession involves the confessor and the people who are receiving the confession. The last thing I want to talk about is how we receive a confession, right? Because it's just as important being able to confess our sins to other people as it is to hear other people's confession, to receive that and minister in it appropriately. Um, So if we're going to receive a confession – then we need to know what is is the ideal person to receive a confession. So I guess this goes both ways. If you're going to confess, like, okay, who do I confess to? But then also, I want to be a person that people feel the freedom to come in and be honest about their sins with me, right? Mm -hmm. And so we want to be people who are spiritually mature. We want to have good common sense, right? These are things that Richard Foster laid out. We want to have wisdom. Um, we want to have compassion, right? I would hate to, to confess my sins to someone who is not compassionate. Um, we want to be able to keep the confidence. So that means when someone like confesses their sin to you, like that's it. Like it dies there. It's not, I'm going to go tell XYZ person about this or even disguise it as a prayer request. Like someone's really struggling with this um, or even bail it where it's like, oh, I'm not going to say their name or the specific thing, but like You know, like, no, like they confessed it's over and we don't need to bring it up again either. We keep a confidence, but then it's not like if they're asking you to hold them accountable for something, that's a different story. But if they're just confessing, then allow them to confess and allow the forgiveness to happen and it to be over and it not to be brought up again. And then also, um, I love this one that he brings this out because I never would have thought about this, but he says that someone who receives a confession should have a wholesome sense of humor what does that mean that means they're not going to make light of it and joke about your sin or make fun of you for your sin but they're not also going to be like so gravely serious or uptight that you don't feel comfortable coming to them right Mm -hmm. um so we want we want to be people who are relatable who can can be compassionate and can receive a confession um in, in a way that makes the person feel feel relaxed and comfortable sharing with us so you, someone comes to you and and they tell you, okay, I, I want to confess something. What what kind of attitude should we have? We should have the attitude we talked about earlier of like, oh, we're all sinners. We all make mistakes. Um, I'm the I am like Paul says. I'm the chief of all sinners. Like I sin the worst or just as bad as everyone else. That prevents us from looking at someone with condensation or or condemning them of like, oh, like I'm better than you. I can never sin in that way. Um, that's not helpful in a time of confession. It's actually destructive. And then also we want to have an attitude of of allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us in discernment. We want to ask him to give us discernment during the time of, of confession of how to respond and and so forth. And so while someone's confessing, we want to be quiet, right? It's not a time for necessarily like conversation or to interrupt them to ask for more details or to brush it off or to make a joke, um, to lighten the situation if it's serious or to pry. It's just to quietly wait for them to share everything that they want to share that they feel like they should. And then also, like, while we're being quiet, we should inwardly be praying that the Holy Spirit would um, give them the boldness to share what they need to share, but also that the area that needs healing will be exposed so that when we pray later, like, we'll know how to pray. Like, that's where the discernment comes in. And then our responsibilities, like we said before, are to announce Jesus' forgiveness, to remind them of Jesus' forgiveness, and then to pray for them, Um, to pray for their healing and to thank uh, God in front of them that he has forgiven them and that he has healed them. Um, And so if we can practice this, if we can practice this corporate confession and do make it a regular part of our relationships with God and with each other, then we come to a place where there's more pretense. Mm-hmm. So Practically, that means we're not hiding behind bushes, right? Like I said before, we don't want to be like Adam and Eve, walking around in the Garden of, of Eden, all behind bushes, not really knowing each other, not really seeing each other in, in a spiritual sense, right? So if we can, can practice corporate confession, then we can be honest with each other, and we can see change happen. We can see healing happen. Where again, our humanity, our flaws aren't denied, but they're transformed. They're healed, and that allows us to to be allows us to be Jesus created us to be right. Mm-hmm. Like. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't, and it's not just about us. I think we have a tendency too, to think, okay, what is this going to do for me? Like, yeah, confession is going to do a lot for you in your walk with Jesus and your walk with other people, but why? So that we can go out on our campus and share the gospel so that people can see authentic community. Like confession will allow us to be transformed. It'll allow us to be healed so that Kyle looks different on campus than any other group, right? We don't want to just look like a sorority or a fraternity or you know, like this club or that academic club or whatever, right? We want to look like the kingdom of God. And so if, we're, if we practice confession, then we're going to look different. We're going to have a different unity and a different harmony than all the other groups on campus. Um, and so, yes, it's about us and our relationship with God and each other, but it's about other people coming to know Jesus. Right. So that's what I had to share about confession. I'm going to pray over this really quick and then we'll stop the recording. And I have a couple questions before we, we break up into groups to, to practice this. So let's pray. God, I just thank you. I thank you for, for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross and to take our place in in punishment. God, and God, I thank you that you have given us the, the discipline of confession um, and that you have called us to to be honest about our mistakes um, to you and to each other, that you provide a way for us to experience forgiveness and you provide a way for us to experience healing so that we can can be honest about who we are, we can be real um, and not hiding in our relationships both with you and with each other, but so that other people can come to know you. And God, I ask, I ask that we would stand apart on campus, that we would look different, um, because we, we practice confession, God, would we get good at this? Would we be good about being honest and transparent um, about confessing, about allowing you to bring things to our mind that that need to be confessed? And I pray that you would give us boldness and courage to uh, overcome any discomfort or fear, fear of rejection. God, I pray against fear of rejection, even tonight as we practice this, that you you would just banish any fear of rejection that you would banish any temptation to not take this seriously and that we would be able to to walk forward and and to be united um to gain back some of what we've lost uh by by being socially distanced that by being willing and and purposely being transparent with each other that our relationships would grow deeper Lord, I pray that as new students come into our group in this fall, that, that they would be attracted to the discipline of confession and that we'd be able to, to um, just continue to grow into the, the reflection of your kingdom, of your family
1: that you want us to be on the University of Memphis campus. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.